My name is Emily Jamison, and I will be your host for The Collaboratory. This listening prayer experience is meant to be largely experimental, in the sense that we will collaborate together, tamper with ideas of life and faith and God, and we will form new hypotheses, adjusting along the way. There are no dead ends in a laboratory, but only new ways forward. I cannot wait to journey together. Logos are a fascinating study. Let me ask you this. If I showed you a swoosh, just a black checkmark swooped in a rounded fashion, what would you think of? Yes, Nike. And not just the name, but athletes and just do it and apparel and overcoming and victory and swagger and those really cool shoes from Back to the Future too. That one image is pregnant with meaning. It holds a whole narrative, an entire story. What about the golden arches? Yes, McDonald's. And not just the name of a fast food restaurant, but convenience and an odd clown and charity and probably a heavier set existence, as well as maybe a personal narrative. For me, it's the fries stuck in the corner of my minivan and endless plastic toys that have become treasures to my toddlers and the breakfast sandwiches that I craved during my first pregnancy that I promptly threw up. Each of the logos that we see in our lives are pictures that carry with them a grand narrative, an entire story. The first words of the fourth book of the New Testament, written by a beloved follower of Jesus named John, are poetic and puzzling and seem to fold back on themselves as they unveil eternity. He says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. It goes on to say in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Word in English is translated here from the Greek word logos, the same word that we get logo from. When we say that Jesus is the Word, we are saying that he is the logo of God. He carries the whole story, the whole narrative of heaven. I do not read Greek or Hebrew yet, but I love reading differing translations and scripture to offer nuance and deepen my understanding of the original language. One translation I particularly love is called The Voice. It is poetic and written more like a play, with the characters delineated. The translators have chosen to use voice rather than word here in John 1 to convey the reality that Jesus is the communication of heaven to us, that his very existence is the source of creation. When God spoke, let there be light in the beginning in Genesis, his speaking in essence is the person of Jesus. Listen to this rendering of John 1 from The Voice. The voice was and is God. This celestial word remained ever-present with the Creator. His speech shaped the entire cosmos. Immersed in the practice of creating, all things that exist were birthed in Him. His breath filled all things with a living, breathing light. A light that thrives in the depths of darkness, blazes through murky bottoms. It cannot and will not be quenched. The voice took on flesh and became human and chose to live alongside us. We have seen Him enveloped in undeniable splendor, the one true Son of the Father, 
evidenced in the perfect balance of grace and truth. Isn't that stunning? So Jesus is the Word of God. He serves as the logo of eternity, the voice of God, the narrative of heaven. It is worthy to note that we are limited by language. There are 53 words for snow in the Inuit language, and I'm not a skier, but I can only think of two in English, slush and powder. Similarly, there are three different Greek words that are all translated into one word, word, in our English Bibles. Logos, graphi, and rema are three Greek words carrying different meanings, different nuances, that are all translated into word in our English Bibles. Why is this important? And what does it have to do with listening to hearing God? I imagine that there are people listening to this podcast who reside on either end of the spectrum when it comes to the Word of God, specifically understood as the Bible. There are those that are incredibly skeptical of the Bible, leery of giving it credence and authority. And then there are those on the other end of the spectrum that believe that the Bible is God's Word to us, period. That the written scripture is all that we have when it comes to God speaking. That we cannot trust any words or imaginations or anything else that comes to us that's not recorded in the pages of the Bible. Why would we ever listen? We could be deceived. Well, may I submit to you that this heart posture is in fact rooted in fear rather than in faith. And my hope is to invite you to see that the Bible is beautifully clear that God did, does, and continues to speak to us personally, and that you can trust that his voice is accessible. Let me unpack for you the three ways word can be understood. First, what we've already touched upon is that Jesus is the Logos, the Word, the image of the living God. He is the Logo of God. In the voice translation, there's a note that says this, The Word here does not refer to the written scriptures, but to the eternal plan of God existing from the beginning in His divine counsel and foreknowledge. John 1.1 is referring to the eternal plan of God becoming manifest to us, being made known to us in the person of Jesus, that Jesus is God's plan, the Word made flesh. The second Greek phrase translated as word is graphi. It is what we get the word graphite from, the substance of a pencil. It means written words. Acts 17.11 gives us a clue to the differentiation between logos and graphi. It says this, Now that the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word, logos, with all eagerness, examining the scriptures, graphi, daily to see if these things were so. Recognize here that they received the word, logos, the person of Jesus, with all eagerness, and then they examined the scriptures. They are two words that are differing in meaning. Jesus is given to us as the Word of God, and we are meant to refer to the scriptures, the written word, the graphi, in order to confirm his gift, his presence, his voice to us. Jesus is the exact living image, the essential manifestation of the unseen God. This is what they were exploring. Like I just said, the word graphi is translated into English also as word, and it means writing or a scripture, the inspired writings of the Bible to be exact. These 66 books of scripture, 39 in Hebrew and 27 in Greek. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture, graphi, is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In John 7:38, John records Jesus speaking. He says this, Whoever believes in me as the scripture, the graphi, has said, rivers of living water will flow from him. Jesus clearly had a high view of the written word, the scripture, the graphi. 
but ultimately belief was meant to come through him. There are a group of men that actually come to Jesus and they begin to question him. He looks at them, these religious men, and he says this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me to have life. There is an invitation to both study the scripture and, or should I say, but more importantly, come to Jesus to recognize that the scripture is not life in and of itself. It testifies and gives witness to the one who offers us by his spoken word life and comfort and presence and friendship and counsel and purpose. The third Greek phrase that's translated into word in English is rhema, R-H-E-M-A. Isn't it beautiful? It means that which has been uttered by a living voice, a thing spoken. It's the spoken word. And translated as word, it includes the scriptures. The rhema word of Christ would include all of Christ's sayings and teaching as recorded in the Gospels. However, rhema has a much broader meaning than graphi. While graphi is the written scriptures, the written word that refers only to the Bible that we have in our hands, rhema may refer to a specific revelation or instruction given through the scripture or given through the spirit in real time today. Think about this. The writers of scripture would have sensed the rhema word of God, allowed the rhema word to bubble up from their spirit, pass through their heart and mind, through their fingertips, and spill out into ink on a page. And this is why we say that we can hear from God. He might alight something on your heart, give you inspiration. It will never contradict the written word of God that we find in the Bible. But we are not limited to the Bible in terms of what we can hear from God. This is how he has always spoken. The canon of scripture, per se, is closed in the sense that nothing we hear or sense from God need be added. The Bible is sufficient to reveal the heart and the character of God and the way in which we are invited to be disciples and to follow him and his way into life. But God has not stopped speaking to us today. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith proceeds from spiritual hearing. Moreover, this hearing is consummated through a rhema word from Christ. Matthew 4, 4 says that, a man should not live by bread alone, but by every word, rema, that proceeds from the mouth of God. Romans 10.8 says that the word, rema, is near you in your mouth and in your heart. In John 10, Jesus says that he calls his sheep by name and they hear his voice, that they don't listen to the enemy's voice. It seems that the very scripture that we trust in is telling us that there is more than the written word, that there is actually ability for the living God the visible image of the living God, Jesus, the one come in the flesh, who was resurrected and then ascended to heaven, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, who has sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us and give us revelation of his voice. It seems that the very scripture that we trust is telling us that that spirit can speak to us today. There is an ability for the living God to speak. It seems that this voice can speak more than what we can simply read. How else would we know what we're supposed to do, where we're supposed to go, who we're meant to encourage? How else might we know other than by way of the voice of the Spirit that is God in us, that voice that is in us, but not from us? In Acts, there's a moment when the disciples are making some decisions, and it records that they say this, it seems right to us and the Lord that we should go or do this thing. When you wake up on a Tuesday morning and you ask God, who do you want me to encourage today? You cannot find the name of your friend in the Bible. 
You cannot find the name of the charity that God is inviting you to go and serve at in your Bible. There is something that is greater, more beautiful, more active, more present that you can trust that will again be in alignment to the word, but is actually beyond the scripture that is written down. You will say something like this, it seems right to me and the Lord that I should text this friend, that I should serve this person. It is unique and beautiful and set specifically for you. In Ephesians, it says that God has prepared and advanced the good works for you to walk in. There are good and beautiful, unique things for your unique identity to walk in. And we must become familiar with the voice of the Spirit to know what is uniquely for us and what is not. Otherwise, we will operate out of people-pleasing and trying to fix the world and not by way of the Spirit that is in us. In Romans 8, it says that the mature children of God are those who are animated by the impulses of the Spirit of God. I want to be a woman who is animated, who is moved by the impulses of the Spirit of God. When I wake in the morning and a name comes to mind and I would ask God, do you want me to text or call or pray? What would you have me do? That as images and ideas and things are prompted in my mind that I would follow and obey that first thing that comes to mind that I trust is from the Spirit. Author Mike Arnold has a great analogy for how Logos, the plan of God, Jesus, Graphi, the written word, and Rhema, the spoken word, work together. Imagine an architect endeavoring to design and construct a building. He first imagines it in his mind and then mentally plans out what it should look like. He then draws up a written blueprint detailing each part of the building. Finally, he discusses the blueprints with those in charge of the actual construction to make sure that everyone understands the blueprints and is on the same page regarding which material and techniques will be used to achieve the desired architecture. The final step is critically important. If the architect simply handed the plans to the builders without any communication at all, the plans would be completely left up to their own interpretation. Give the same blueprint to 100 different construction firms without any other communication, and you would end up with 100 slightly different buildings. It is not unlike the way that we relate with God. He's given us his beautiful blueprint, the scripture. It is a window through which to see Jesus, who is ultimately the pattern in which we are meant to live our lives. He's given us his voice so that we can rightly interpret and apply and live out this beautiful life that God has called us to. It looks like the life of Jesus, the logos of God. The blueprint tells us how to live that out, and that is the scripture. His voice is the way that we might apply that to our own unique life, in our own time in history, with our own identity, as we relate to the living God. The word is living and active. And so God, as we come to you, the one who is the living word, as we grapple with the graphy, the written word, and we ask that your spirit reveal to us your rhema word, we ask for direction, for insight, for wisdom. We ask for the knowledge of who you are and who we are and what our right next step is as we live out the way of God. And so Jesus, as we think about these things, is there anything that you want me to know today? God, is there any old way of thinking that has kept me captive, that is limiting me from receiving what you have for me today? And God, what truth are you inviting me to take up to replace that old way? What new way of thinking are you inviting me to, to freedom and to life?
Jesus, you say in John 10 that your sheep hear your voice, that you call them by name, that they know you. God, would you call me by name? You say that I can hear your voice. Would you help me to know it more?